We have some exciting news for everyone today. I'm super excited because it means that we're making this more legit, more real. Yeah. We're, we're trying to create more uh, funding, which means more time for us to do better content. So mm -hmm. you, you go through the details. So we're officially starting the Patreon. I know we've talked about it for a while now, but we officially got the Patreon set up thanks to Amber. Um, and we have a, three different tiers of... of Patreon, patrons, 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 <laughs> however we want to, patrons, patrons, <laughs> patrons. Um, so we have three different tiers for y'all. The first tier at uh, $3 is for, you can submit a question um, or a shout out to us once a month and we'll answer it on, on air um, and give you a shout out on our podcast. And so that's a great option. Um, option number two, the second tier is $5 a month and that includes the first tier stuff of sending in a question. Um, but it also includes uh, exclusive access so to our members-only Discord channel that we're going to start. So that will be where we're all actively posting um, any stories we find. So it's kind of like Facebook, essentially, like Facebook Messenger, um, where we'll post, you know, any Egyptolo Egyptological-related news articles, any stories we like, something funny that happened to us, and we'll be interacting with all you all as well. You can post questions there maybe suggest episode ideas we'll have different threads and you um, and i will both be active yes, in that in that discord on that discord chat. channel yeah so then we can all talk to you guys in a more intimate in intimate way right yeah, yeah. yeah. so that will yeah. be fun um off facebook and stuff where it kind of regulates who we whose posts we see and comments and all these types of things so or we get flamed by or they don't show you our stuff people. <laughs> or we get yeah, angry people <laughs> yes. so we're curating our our people yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so that should be really fun we already have the discord channel set up so as soon as you join you can you know get right on there we'll add you and you can talk directly to us yeah um, and our final tier, uh, our $10 tier, will be all of uh, the things I just said, but also live events. So we'll do, you know, AMAs, Ask Me Anythings, live over Zoom. We might do live tapings where you can watch us do a taping. Um, we'll have to be on better behavior <laughs> then um, if we're being watched. We might still drink alcohol. Um, we'll still drink. Um, we might do, you know, question and answers, a Q&A live that you can be a part of. Uh, maybe some behind the scenes type stuff. And Jordan, you and I are really good at these live yes, events. Yes, we do them all the time. We do. We do them for my class, Women in Power, all yeah. the time over Zoom. And we'll probably continue to do this over Zoom. So yeah. you would join a, a Zoom chat with me and Jordan. And we'd all be there in our Brady Bunch boxes. Yep. And you can, you we'll know, get your question together. We'll, and, and we have a discussion. We'll and it's yep. really fun. And given where we are all in our in the state of the world as we look around us and we're like oh my god everything's being commodified everyone's being screwed over my kid is so stressed by school what what's happening in the world i can't get a new car because of of i mean it's so just expensive. everything's crazy yeah. right so as you live in this crazy world we're historians who are trying to understand the the long durée aspects of, yep. of all of the craziness as social historians and and we love to talk about it it helps us too mm -hmm. so that that's that's really what those yeah, live some, events are for. Make some sense of what's going on. Yeah, can use the past. Yeah. Um, so those are our three tiers currently. I'm, you know, in the future as we keep building on this, we'll 
probably add other things. We might surprise you with, um, you know, some free stuff here or there as we go. Um, but so this is a way that we can help, you know, offset some of our costs, um, do more things for you guys, um, make more episodes, make more content, free up some time for us to um, give you more things. So we really appreciate any support you can offer. Um, and let us know if there's things that you would like to see um, that we're, we're just maybe overlooking or something like this. We're more than happy to take suggestions and, and to pivot as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, merch or things like that we're, we're looking into. Um, but yeah, so we hope um, this is a hit. And we, I'm looking forward to if we do some live events to seeing some faces and I would getting to know some of our listeners better. Live events are super fun. Yeah. And on Zoom, you know, it's, um, it, it's, an, it's a way to bring people into a conversation from all around the world yeah. that can be quite meaningful. Yeah. And if we get popular enough, we could do in-person events. That would be really cool. I know some of my podcasts I listen to do in-person live events. Should be cool. And then they zoom people into that as well. You can zoom people in. If people are local, they can actually come. You know, you run out of space and you do a you do a an episode in front of people on a stage. It's amazing. So it'll be a tiny but we need more, tiny theater. Need more help. <laughs> need more help then. Yes, exactly. Need more support. So spread the word if you're enjoying things. You know, give us a follow. Give us a leave us a suggestion. But that's our that's our that's our update for for this week. Yeah. And and thanks for your support as always. Thank you guys. Jeff and I have a funny um, code word when we're out, especially at the grocery store, and there's a boomer being a boomer. And we don't, we want to talk about them, but not in front of them. So we just talk in Egyptian to each other. Oh my God. That's awesome. And we call them werus. That's great. And stuff so we can talk about them. And the weru is the Egyptian hieroglyph of the man leaning on his stick. And it means the great one. Yeah. It's a, it's a good thing in ancient Egyptian. Welcome to After Lives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hello. Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm good. It's hot. It's, it's hot in hot. LA. It's February, but the Santa Ana winds, I suppose, are yeah. blowing. And so it's like 80 degrees. And I just want, you know, Zuckerberg and, and Bezos and all these people to build the carbon sucking machine rather than trying to go into space. space. Though Zuckerberg's not going into space. It's just Bezos and that yeah. other dude who builds the electric cars, oh, whose name I always forget. Elon Musk. Yes. Elon they need they need the carbon sucking machine because I really don't care about their phallic space machines, yeah. but I do care about my planet being too hot mm -hmm. and some carbon sucking would be useful. But anyway, Bezos' ex-wife is donating a lot of her money to carbon sucking, which is to good things. So at least someone is doing right. But yeah, sad. Yeah. It's why they give, have to be the ones to do things. But. It's why they give microloans to females in traditional mm -hmm. societies. Not that they're 
are only males and females, but within traditional societies that are developed on the binary, microloans generally go to females because mm-hmm. they use it for better things than men who like to blow it at the bar. So what can we say? Yeah, it's true. Jeff, uh, Jeff was watching Jackass last night. Oh God. <laughs> and I was just sitting there the whole time. Like, and I was like, all I need to know about like men is encapsulated in this, vi- like these videos. Men within end stage patriarchy. I was just like, just like, uh, like laughing at everything. I was like, it's not even funny. Like not funny at all. Like I was just, I don't understand. Oh my was, like, God. It's funny. It's funny. And I was like, I, do- I don't get it. I, yeah. But I was like fascinated by it. Like I was like anthropologically, I was like, it's like a sideshow. People are so interesting. It's like the woman with the with but they the beard. were like, you know, having like pigs eat out of people's buttholes. And stuff. Wait, why? That's because what they do. No, they do not. Yes. They do not. Yes. That is not like in or a they'll... thing that people pay to see. Yes. It's why? Really it's not just like pranks. It's like disgusting. Why? Like, uh, no. Or this one guy, they made the fat guy work out and then they took like a cup of his sweat and then Johnny Knoxville or one of them drank it and oh. proceeded just to vomit and the oh. camera was like in the vo- it was just disgusting i don't understand yeah and Jeff I, was like, I, I have like, ha, 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 like no i have up, no and i was just like oh wow yeah was, no i it can't it was very strange and i was like this is all i need like women would never do this ever oh my god so that's all i have to say i was just like disgusted wow because like bam and stuff they were they filmed right where i grew up so you would see bam a lot in my like hometown and stuff yeah but I was just like, Ugh. no, I can't, I, 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 I can't handle it. And, like, I can't even handle fictional things to kick people in their balls. Why? And, like, yeah. All this stuff about butts and their penises and peeing on other people. It was very strange. It's very, lots of homoerotic. Ew. Yeah. I was just like, what is happening? Huh. So I'm sure someone can deconstruct this and have, I was like, someone should write a book on this, but it's not going to be me. I'm not yeah. looking at that stuff. Gross. It was very, and I was like, just <laughs> I was just sitting there I was like trying to read a book and I kept like looking up and being like <laughs> it makes your eye twitch yeah like I was too. like it makes your eyes twitch I was just watching <laughs> Ugh, so weird uh, certain but. things make Remy's eyes twitch which is really actually just one and he'll like yeah. he just kind of loses his shit and his right eye starts couldn't, to twitch couldn't understand it um so do we have any updates um well, we had to take one of our yes. podcasts offline because the sound was so bad and only my loud ass can be heard. Yes. And you all demure and shit. No one can hear what it is you're saying. So yeah. we took that one down. That's the harem podcast. And what are we going to do? So we got some new equipment. Um, some word where we went back to the beginning, but well, it's fine. <laughs> yes. But we, we got new equipment we'll be using in the future. So yeah. uh, lovelier mics. So we'll be each be mic'd separately. The yeah. mixing equipment. So yeah. we can... Up my voice to equal someone else's voice, which is much louder. <laughs> I've always been called loud. Um, so, <laughs> well, we'll get some new equipment in, but and we're going to re-record that episode. Okay, so, yeah, because um, harem, you have to have a, that I think episode. It's a, yeah, it was a great episode. Yeah, just the you could only hear recording me. wasn't so good, so um, we'll redo that one and post it at some point. Um, but yeah, just thanks for everyone for sticking with us while we figure out all this stuff um ourselves so yeah yeah any other announcements i think so i mean we have some things cooking but we'll tell you about them later things in the works yeah stay tuned yeah so today we're gonna it's a fun topic Mm -hmm. um i've been seeing a lot of tweets lately 
about, you know, boomer, the boomer generation, which we'll get to like the dates and all that stuff in a second, but that, you know, boomers critiquing millennials and vice versa. So this big generational conundrum, um, and, you know, tweets like saying like, well, if you just stopped, you know, buying Starbucks, $5 Starbucks <laughs> a week, you'd be able to save up for a down payment on a house. Right, and, like, right, right. Critiquing us for like not having money because we're spending it or something yeah. on Starbucks. And, right. And then the millennials critiquing back and being like, yeah, you worked a minimum wage job and bought a house for $100,000 yeah. in 1970. Yeah. You know, it's not the same at all nowadays. Right. And we're saying that we ruined Applebee's and mayonnaise and other <laughs> stupid shit. So, I don't know about the Applebee's and mayonnaise, yeah. but it's like well, Applebee's. Sorry, Applebee's sucks. Yes. Like, why would you want to eat at some it's frozen chain, food? Like gross cheese. So does Cheesecake Factory. I brought my sign to the Cheesecake Factory, so and I'm like, "This is don't this is your dad's count. favorite restaurant." And he's like, "Okay," and he got all excited about the the menu because it has everything. everything. And he ordered this thing and that thing and that thing, and he goes, "Mom, <laughs> it's sure. not." Because it's not very good. I said, it's all frozen and it's all computerized to be put into the deep fryer at a certain time. And then it comes out. He goes, it's not good. I'm like, yeah. It's also like the portions are so massive and the calories are, it's like 3000 calories per like entree. With old oil. Yeah. Mazzola corn goodness. But anyway. But yeah. So we ruined mayonnaise. We did all these things. (laughs) And then we're saying back, you ruined the planet and the economy. (laughs) Um, So maybe I'm a little biased. But so I was seeing all these tweets and I was wondering, you know, what in ancient Egypt, what would be how is generations formulated? Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking about families and children and yeah. you know extended families how are the family structures made up how yeah. do the egyptians conceptualize of all these things what were parent-child relationships like mm-hmm. what was i mean these are like? this Adoption is yeah wills. this is such an interesting topic and it's the kind of stuff that we don't write a lot about yeah. because it's all like a a feel like a mm-hmm. sense from your time dealing with antiquity of what things must have been like, but it's something you don't necessarily verbalize or put into writing, certainly not in an academic work as yeah. much because we don't know how to talk about uh, generational competition mm-hmm. or when somebody comes of age. These things aren't really put into ancient yeah. documents. You can hardly talk mm-hmm. about it at all. Yeah. Um, Makes it a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like that. But I think it will be fun. And I think too, um, another topic that's coming up, I think more popular and, current events is like millennials waiting to get married yeah. and having kids. Yeah. I think we've talked about this before, but so I think a, a vast change from boomers and their, their children. Yeah. Um, so, and maybe, I don't know if you feel it being Jen, what your Jen Y? I'm, no, I'm I'm Gen X. Gen X, you're right. Yes. Come on, man. 1972. I, I forget about your intermediate. I'm turning 50 in... A month. Yeah. God. And um, yeah, I'm total Gen X all the way. I'm like right in the sweet spot of it. There's no debate about what I am. You had stuff was still going well when you were coming up and, you know, I don't know. Gen X is, you know, we, we, um, many of us are latchkey kids. Many of us are products of divorce when it was Mm -hmm. beginning and people Mm -hmm. didn't know how to get divorced in an amicable way. Not that they do now having been through one myself, but anyway, and, and it's, we were really left to our own devices. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that was wonderful. In some ways that was, that was detrimental. It depends on your perspective, but, um, 
I'm, I'm proud to be a Gen Xer. We work hard, we, but we're kind of slackers when we need to. Our resistance against the machine is kind yeah. of a, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm doing a whole lot and yet not do it. And I've worked a lot of my um, <laughs> high jobs for the man in institutions that will not be named. Um, and not like, you know, LACMI worked my ass off. There was yeah. a county museum. They were awesome. But other museums where I'm just like, wait, this is the job? And I just put all of my effort into doing stuff on the side and then made sure my emails were done. My work was done. Everything was done. But then I put my time into other things. I would argue that Gen Xers invented the side hustle Hmm. because they knew Gen Xers knew they would not have a mailman. And we're the first generation to not have the wealth of our parents. We're the first generation to see our our situations go down. And we knew it at a young age. And we're the ones that are having to break that path for you guys Mm -hmm. who now are knee deep in it. But we're told your whole lives that you were fucking special. Yeah, (laughs) We weren't told we were special. You were, so it was kind of a mind fuck yeah. on you because you were told you were special, but everything was still on the and downward like slope. Great and wonderful. Yeah. And, and then it's like, oh wait, now we're in a dumpster fire. But you could do anything. You can do yeah. anything, Jordan. Everything's great. We, we were not really told these things. I was told I could be a nun and a teacher. Seriously. Went to Catholic <laughs> school. And that was, I remember when I was in the second grade, I was like, okay, I can be a nun or a teacher, nun or a teacher. Hmm. Which one am I going to be? I picked none because all the girls picked teacher. And so I, I went for the, the iconoclast sort of, you know, not non-norm are choice. Parents boomers? My parents are not boomers. My so parents are the greatest. The, no, they're not greatest no. generation either. They're in between greatest generation and um, boomers. And it's called like the, the lost generation Forgot, yes, or the I forgotten generation. Yeah. And so my parents are both 1944, which is not when many yes, people were so having kids start 1946. Yes. Like they're right. Yeah, so they're they're um, part of something different. I think they're part of Trump's generation, actually. I don't think he's a greatest generation either. Lots of wealth because there weren't many of them, um, and um, so it's interesting how that then how they raise their children uh-huh. in different ways. Like the boomers came off being yeah, but you're oh well yeah, but I think a lot of Gen Xers do have greatest generation parents, don't they? Or maybe not. I guess that doesn't really work. If, I mean, just no, you're right. Time, you're right. But I think they would all have yeah, your parents' age, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the lost generation, mm-hmm. lost generation. Is yeah. that what it's called? Forgotten um, or lost, something like that. Yeah. But it's, it's sad. I didn't write that one down. <laughs> um, huge wealth growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can put them in with the boomers in that way, mm-hmm. that their entitlement is vast. Yeah. Because yes. of all that they have. Oh, Jeff and I have a funny um, code word when we're out, especially at the grocery store. And there's a boomer being a boomer. And we don't, we want to talk about them, but not in front of them. So we talk in Egyptian to each other. Oh my God. That's awesome. And we call them werus. That's great. stuff so we can talk about them. And the weru is the Egyptian <laughs> hieroglyph of the man leaning on his stick. And it means the great one. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing in ancient Egyptian, but we make it the word for boomer. Yeah. I mean, and there, so let's just start with this one point, yeah. which I really like, which is coming up organically, which is that in the ancient world, an aged person was rare. Mm-hmm. Their institutional and cultural knowledge was prized. They were not something that you ran across every day. If you if you had an old person in your village or your community, yeah. you revered them, you looked up to them. Whereas in our communities today, old people are cheap. They're no expensive. No one wants to deal with them. We put them into homes and we're just kind of annoyed by all of these old people. That is a diametrically opposed situation between the ancient and the modern world yeah. that I find very interesting. That, that is very interesting. Yeah. 
And I, I wonder if it's just like, I mean, we'll get to this question a bit, but just like the family composition of mm-hmm. your elders stayed with you and, yeah. you know, your extended family stayed. Um, there wasn't yeah, as much you. movement. So people didn't go off to, you could go off to make your own fortune and join the army or join a temple, join some kind of an institution. But generally, if you did so, you probably stayed in your community to mm-hmm. do so and didn't go off to a different city because Egypt isn't yeah. that urban. There wasn't the American individualism. <laughs> and there wasn't like a, you go to a new place, you stay. Yeah. And so generational living, community living. I mean, Egypt is still like that today. Mm-hmm. You go to Egypt in these traditional spaces and people, even in the, the big city of Cairo, who are strangers to you, feel that it is appropriate to give you advice about how you should dress, how you should eat, where you should go. And what you should do as if everyone is your in-law or everyone is your cousin. I remember once when we went to um, the ramp, Musa Wasaf. Yeah. Um, and we took a Uber there. Then we were trying to get an Uber back. And this so, is like a, a weaving community yeah, outside our, of Saqqara, which um, is so pretty cool. But like pretty rural yeah. area. And we were trying to, we were, had to walk the main road to get the Uber back to Cairo. Um, we were waiting for walks. Obviously the Uber had to come from Cairo to come get us. Wow. And this lady was just on the road. And she started talking to us. And then she was like, picked up my hand, was like, ring, like, why aren't you married? Like, (laughs) what is this? Like, you're definitely old enough. And I was like, um, excuse me. Yeah, where is your baby? You're doing it wrong. Like, the first question, she was like, are you married? And I was Mm -hmm. like, no. And she's like, why not? Like, what's wrong with you? And it's just this random lady, you know, comes up and wants to. It's one of Egypt's most. Oh, you should. It's one of Egypt's most beautiful (laughs) traits. And yet the part that's the most disconcerting for us. In that everyone is there to try to help you get along and survive and find your best way forward so that you won't be excluded or that you won't miss out on Mm -hmm. what you're meant to have. You won't lose out on any prosperity. Um, But for us, we're, you know, we're like someone's trying to like some shady business or something like that would never happen here. Yeah. But Egypt, it's like just honest hospitality. I didn't have a baby until I was 38 and people literally thought I was barren. Something was wrong with me. And I just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm not able to have a baby because it was easier. (laughs) And I had my one kid and that was, that was enough. Julian is, Julian is um, like 10 children. (laughs) Yeah, he is. He has the energy of 10 and we deal with him. Um, That was a good, that's a good note about, yeah. Elders and the role of elders. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, there's the, you can look at it from both directions as in now you can have your, you know, adopted or constructed family if your real family sucks. So like, you're not forced to like feel some type of obligation towards people if they Mm -hmm. treat you poorly or like don't accept you for who you are and stuff. And you can have, you know, your adopted friends or family. And people did break up in the ancient world. Yeah. But you're not like, maybe people don't feel like an obligation as much nowadays to like suffer toxic relationships with family mm-hmm. members just because they're family members. Yeah. Um, and so they'll move along so and move along. yeah. In a traditional society or That's within the ancient option. world, you, you have to deal with these people. Mm-hmm. And there are all kinds of texts that talk about dealing with difficult family yep. members, like the Hekinot papyri okay, yep. middle kingdom, give a little insight into that. A lot of Gerald Medina, Ostrica give insight mm-hmm. into, you know, the adopted son who turned into a, a ne'er-do-well yep. with high status, like Paneb, right? Yep, yep. Who's um, a pain in the ass. And his dad was probably like, damn. See our true crime episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. With all his evil. Exactly. So, so it, you know, in some ways the situation is, 
is, is very human in ways that we completely understand. You have family, you have community, you have a village, but in other ways, it's so different because we live in these nuclear families rather than generational families. We don't stay in the same village for generations. So I'm sure there are some people listening to this who do and have, um, it's not very American. I feel like it's more, I think we come from a background, but I like, like talking from like Jeff's friends and family in a very more rural parts of Pennsylvania, like they've been there. They do. From, and they like don't leave. And Amber, your family, they yeah. stay. They don't go anywhere. You know, and you live you multi-generationally. Have, you need the money to yeah. be able to leave and go to college somewhere else. And, yeah. But so I think. For, so it's more of an upper middle class problem. So. Yeah. That we impose upon the world. Or people like just never even leaving that, you know, their state. Yeah. And, go, you know, going abroad or something like this. And yeah. So. And marrying young and then. Yeah, marrying young, like right, their high school sweetheart and. And, you know, this generational naming that we just talked about, like mm-hmm. who is the lost generation, who is Gen yeah. X, who is Gen, who is millennial, who is Gen Z. I mean, it's all just media. But if you, you know, you could always say that there's the young, the middle aged and the old. Yeah. Maybe we should put make it four categories. There's the infantile. Yeah. We're all like half of them are going to die like in the teenagers. ancient world. They're going to die. And then there's the young who are meant to marry and the world is before them and they haven't gotten smallpox yet. <laughs> and then there's the middle age who like, and the numbers keep decreasing as you go in the ancient world, your middle age would be like people in their thirties, the women who survived childbirth, yeah. um, the men who survived, I don't know, war and parasites, yeah. depending on where you are. And then you're very few aged people. So you get those four categories and that never changes. And it must've been in these communities that the middle-aged people would always roll their eyes at the, the young and up and comers who hadn't gotten their smallpox yet or whatever it was in the ancient (laughs) world, because yeah, yeah, there's discussions about whether smallpox was actually in Egypt or not. And I'm not going to go there, but that's a thing. Um, It's yeah, it's, it's one for the bioarchaeologists, but um, yeah. So there, there's generational conflict always, and you can see it in the literature, like the instructions Mm -hmm. and you're probably going to bring up quotes and I'll, I'll wait and hear what you have to say. (laughs) <laughs> so let's, okay. So then my question first, this is a little baited question perhaps, mm-hmm. is did the ancient Egyptians have a concept of a generation? Like as we do, like, did they lump groups together by age? Do we have words for these? And so this is baited because I did a TLA search yeah, and backward search generation. Yeah. And? And so we have a lot of words that gets translated as generation, yeah. but that also get translated as troops or youths mm. or um the youths the youth what's the word for the so we the have west wekti hair penu denit het wendit and jamu hmm. which jamu, jamu we I'm just had most, in a text that i'm we were the most familiar with yeah jamu because i remember from my master's program we with jan johnson jamu came up in a text and she went through this long explanation of what a jamu is so mm-hmm. that was the most familiar to me and how do you define a jamu? So it can get defined as generation. Yeah. Um, but often gets also defined as youths or troops, like this uh, group of men, usually of a similar Oh, yeah. It's age. all about men. It's all about men. Men of a similar age. Yeah. Um, and I have pulled some instances of the use of jamu. Mm-hmm. So we can maybe see it contextually, right? Yeah. So Pyrus Berlin, we have the jamu. It is said young men of the temple have grown up. So men mm-hmm. of maybe all going to 
become priests together, right. have a similar cohort, perhaps. And maybe they had their schooling together. Yeah. They did their hieroglyphic instruction and their hieratic instruction together mm-hmm. in the temple. We have a pyramid text. So this dates back pretty old. Pyramid text 519. And they go, those four Jammu hmm. who are standing on the eastern side of heaven. So the four that gets translated as use again. And eastern new life mm-hmm. and rising and all of those things. And then I think this is probably our most clear use of it is from the stila of Mantu Hotep. Mm-hmm. I was, after all, the first of his generation, Jammu, a leader of his troops. This is Mentu Hotep. Is it a- the not the king? Um, the Mentu Hotep eleventh like pre reunification. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's interesting. So it's like you're a part of. It's you- like do men get put into these cohorts that yeah. can be co-opted into different kind of corvée labor systems? What I would add to this is a child of the cop. Mm. So you're a Herod and cop, which is a child of a, a cohort mm-hmm. in the, you're of the nursery. Yeah. And so you grew up with Amenhotep II yeah. or with Tutmos III and Parent children. The, the people who nurse Tutmos III and their, those elite families, their kids were your friends mm-hmm. and you all were educated together as harem children. Yeah. And I think, so if you're a child of the cap of Herod and cop of Amenhotep II, you would probably have a different reputation and people would just automatically give you a different sort of feel a different mm-hmm. zeitgeist to use that word from the child of the nursery of Amenhotep the third, where things were like super Baroque and everyone yeah. was entitled to taking their selfies mm-hmm. in, in their ancient Egyptian sense. Um, and, and things were just, videos. yes, yeah. which would then end in the decadence of Akhenaten. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I imagine that these things matter most. Like we were just talking about the upper middle class. Yeah. And for the upper middle class, you can you could argue that they're the ones that invent the generations because they're the ones that see the most change. Because for the mass of society, whether they're living out in middle America or they're a peasant, uh, you know, sharecropping a farm, it doesn't change for them. Yeah, Their fortunes don't go up or down depending on the rise or fall of a certain king. It doesn't matter. Whereas the elites in Egypt, their fortunes do rise Mm -hmm. and fall with a particular dynasty or king or administration or whatever. And so there, I think it's, that's where you see that kind of discussion. Um, Like you can imagine uh, the generation that grew up with Khufu, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. His brothers, cousins um, and sons, uh, but but that that generation is going to have a different feel than Menkaure's sons and brothers. You know, already it's on the downward slide, and the dynasty is almost on its way out. Yeah, and you're going to have a different kind of discussion about it. But these are the kinds of things they would have only talked about, yeah. not put into writing. Well, and to me, perhaps maybe your Jammu or your cop people. Yeah. Those would be part of your like extended kinship yeah. networks that yeah. you could, you know, if you needed a loan, you would go or you would maybe marry your daughters to each other, exactly. like to your son. Yeah. You might not be genetically related to these people, but you would. Or you needed to work in the court to create some kind of. Your trust amongst these people that you would go yeah. to and form. An alliance of some kind. And, like patronage networks and all these yeah. other things too, right? If yeah. one of you ends up doing better do you have a sense of obligation to your Jammu to kind of help them get ahead too? Or And then you could, you know how we have the greatest generation that went through the Great Depression mm-hmm. and dealt with that setback and are different 
and formed through that crucible, you could argue easily that there were generations that went through the, if you're a Theban who thought, oh, I was one that helped expel the Hyksos, whether you believe in an expulsion of the Hyksos or not, as written in the, in the propagandistic texts, that's fine. But if you're somebody who identifies with that moment and that warfare, then you will set yourself up generationally different than the generations that come after that don't have to engage in that kind of warfare. And it's, it's funny too, cause it's, I feel like everything kind of, there's like a skip to a generation. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, my grandfather fought in World War II and all yeah. these things. And like, didn't really talk about it to my mother, like when she was growing up, but then like was more open and wanting to talk about it to like me and my brother and me and my brother being more interested in it. Right. Cause there was right. some type of time, like my mom, it was probably too close and like, and it's did not interesting. And she's yeah. like, shut up, dad. Yeah, like, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> or he was still having like PTSD, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, for me being slightly more removed, you're like very interested and you want to like find all the like history out about it and, yeah. and all these things. So I'm just picturing like a Hyksos, uh, like one of the Theban troops, like old Hyksos general or something, like telling stories to his grandkids. You know, it'd be an interesting way of you know, as social historians, it would be an interesting tack to take to look at that propaganda of the Theban expulsion. When it gets... When it gets reused, when it gets rekindled, if you like. Like Hatshepsut with her Spios Artemidos rekindles that, that make Egypt great again sort of propaganda. And how many generations have skipped well, when she does that? Well, time has passed that you can kind of rewrite the narrative yes. and the people aren't around to be like, no, that's not what happened. Yeah. And correct you. Yeah. And yeah. So you yeah. can rewrite yeah. it. George Washington did mm-hmm. cut down the cherry tree and then he lied about whatever. Yeah. But you can yeah. make up all kinds of mythologies if enough time has passed and those people are all dead. Yeah. It's absolutely true. No one there to be like, I saw it with my own two eyes. Yeah. yeah. You know, one, one other thing before you ask your next, mm-hmm. next question. I like the idea and I've worked with this in my writing a lot to think about things in terms of generations. And if a king lives too long, it it was totally normal in scholarship to say the dynasty ended because the king lived too long. And then it became totally normal in scholarship to say that is a facile argument. The king living too long is not going to create any decadence or ruin any sort of administration. And it's a simplistic way of going about it. However, if you look at what it means for a king to live 60 some or 70 or 80 years and to have a reign that's like 60 or 70 years long, then it's, it's going to the air. It's almost like Queen Elizabeth nowadays. Exactly. Oh, poor Charles. Out. What's the point? Are we going to skip him? Skip. You should just skip him. You should just, and yeah. everyone's like, it should go right to William. And what's the point? And yeah. those things of course would have been discussed with Ramses the second mm-hmm. with Pepe the first and second, mm-hmm. um, that s- skipping those generations is, oh, um, old King. It's a problem. It creates all kinds of destabilization and increased competition amongst the third or even fourth generation yep. to come along or, you know, your heir apparent, dies and then your next heir apparent dies yeah. and you're then down to your 13th son. That's Merneptah, Merneptah for Ramses the second. Yeah. You know, like how many are you training and giving, you know, the expertise to. Yeah. Um for all these these heir apparents. Yeah. Yeah. So this generational talk, I I, th- I find it very interesting, mm-hmm. but then it's very amorphous. It's very yes. hard to grasp, very hard to to pin down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So getting back to more maybe um, concrete matters. Yeah. So how was the Egyptian family composed as in, you know, nuclear versus extended? Mm-hmm. 
what are the words we have for family members? Did they live together? And then also what evidence do we have? Or yeah. all this stuff from, you know, there's more evidence for a nuclear family mm-hmm. than like within tomb scenes, right? Than tombs. not. Yeah. Amongst elites. Elites. Yeah. We're right? always talking about elites. It's true. And, and less evidence for, for these extended families, because, you know, if you compare it to ancient China, for instance, mm-hmm. um, the nuclear family is not where it's at. You need like your, your giant multi-generational um, like so, compound to so, keep your power. So we can take it back to economics because mm-hmm. we have lists of who is in his household. Yeah. And I think part of the issue here is what we would consider family. Yeah. Like being genetically related to someone. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me doing some of the research and stuff. It reminded me very much of like a Roman type of ideal where even like dependents are like, do we include dependents? Do we include servants and slaves as family? Yeah. Um, because sometimes they would get freed and then would marry into the family. I think you and, have you know, to they include are them. Dependent yeah. upon the pater. Um, the pater familias. For like the Roman eating and, yeah. you know, their livelihood. Um, so we have from Hekinoch 18 family members listed, but are they living in the same house? Right. Yeah. That's unclear, but we have 18 people of being under his care, including mother, second wife, um, two sons, two daughters, his younger brother, an older aunt, foreman, dependents, farmers, and three female slaves or servants. It's a lot of people. But yeah. Were they living on, you know, a compound together? Were they, living in different houses, but he was still kind of in charge of their well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we would not include like your maid in our family. And but. and so you, you know, you have to think of all of this within status groups. Yes. Right. Which is patronage networks. I feel like makes I agree. more sense. Yeah. So if you have a patronage network for Hekanoct and he's the patron and he's not a sharecropper, he owns his own mm-hmm. land. Right. Yep. And as his own paterfamilias, to use the Roman term, he's got his partner, his children that are in the household, not those who have married out, um, other unmarried relatives who are there and then servants. Women, yeah. um, so you, you, but you, his grandparents aren't listed. Yeah. Or his could. parents, sorry, the grandparents his of the household. There. His mother's there. Yeah. Um, and his older aunt. Yeah. So the, unmarried I think it's a mistake then to think that that is necessarily the norm. Yeah. Because then if we take the massive Egyptian society and we look at the sharecropper, which is how most people live, not owning their own land, farming for a great man, another paterfamilias mm-hmm. guy, maybe greater than Hekinox, or for a great institution like a temple mm-hmm. or somebody else like the court that owns Domain land. Sort, yeah. Then things might, we, we actually know very little and I think we would have to use more anthropological ethnographic information to understand what mm-hmm. the family situation was like. And I think there you will get a more multi-generational way of, of living. Yeah. But always, and this always then also brings up for me like marriage and, you know, is it the, in patriarchal society, it's usually the woman who's leaving her family right. to then join the male's family. Right. Um, including his extended side. Um, but it's like, do we have good, but then in Egypt, we maybe have evidence for the wife's mother living with them after she's widowed or something Mm -hmm. because, but, but I think it all comes down to 
who's the the pater familias mm-hmm. and if one of them dies the next one in kind of age has to take on all those dependents you know himself i think a lot of it depends on one's situation and what the situation of the mass is and we've talked about this a lot in the women in power mm-hmm. class but if you don't own your own land yeah. and if most ancient egyptians did not own their own land and let's go with a, a cool 90% yeah. maybe we make we are more conservative and we say 80% didn't own their own land it's still a mass of society yeah and if 80% or 90% of people do not own their own land then the things that are so important in those societies where people do have ownership of property and assets to hand down to the next generation if you have those property and those assets in your own control, you are going to lock shit down in your family in a way that you would not if you didn't. Yeah, you want and direct line of descent. Exactly. So in the United States, just as a comparison, so you look at the the poor of the United States, whether they're in an urban setting or in a, a farm-like setting, where marriage is not as important, You because it, it's it, loose sexuality is more common. Or at least more talked like about or more openly compl- complicates a lot of these things. Yeah, it's true. Um, it, and religion complicates it all because there there's a moral component yeah. to it. But that doesn't mean that the rural or urban poor still don't engage in yes, more secretive things maybe. in more shady sexual shady from the lockdown perspective, because yeah. I don't I, it doesn't necessarily mean it's shady, sexual behaviors than the people who have to pass down their property, they're more willing and interested in commodifying the female, like livestock, mm-hmm. if you like, mm-hmm. marking her womb, creating a virginal yeah. price, um, watching her very carefully before she gets married, um, having her veil. And mm-hmm. maybe there's, if there's adultery, then there's a strict punishment, usually harsher for the female, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. All of these things are there to make sure that the property gets passed down in a way that can be tracked and that is safe because there's like scarcity of it because it's about stuff. It's about property. It's about wealth and livelihood Mm -hmm. such that if your 12 year old gets pregnant from sleeping with a neighbor boy, it is devastating for a family of a certain status, devastating for a family of a certain status. But if they're poor people, poor peasants in Egypt, it doesn't matter. She got pregnant with the with the farmer boy next door. Yeah. Oh my God, that's we don't great. Have any evidence that there was like, oh, now you have to get married. There is no evidence of that. that. Yeah. There's no evidence of shaming. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence of virginal tests. There's no evidence of stoning for having adultery. There's no evidence of sexual repression mm-hmm. in any way. And I would tie that directly to the fact that these people didn't own their own property and thus were not trying to pass it down to the next generation. Mm-hmm. They were just like, this isn't devastating. So she just had sex with a farmer boy. And she didn't have a baby. Big deal. Another, another mouth to feed, not really another labor to add to our farm, better sharecropping, same, same. This has gone on for generations and there's no, there's no censure. There's no moral Adoption issue. Is, you know, super common, not, yeah. not a big deal. No. Just adopt yeah. people and, Whereas in elite societies, elite status groups, adoption is, it's a different deal. And then you have the idea of nursing and Mm -hmm. being of the body of a particular woman because she's nursed you, wet nursed you um, in in a court-like setting. How does that, how do we understand that? But I think that we always have to look at the economy of a particular place first, because that situates how families are formed. Families are formed as 
creative, adaptive structures to get along in the world. And generations follow the same lines, Mm -hmm. same lines. So you're going to have more change of generations at the top. You're going to have more control of women, arguably at the top in Egypt and less at the bottom, more morality and moralizing at the top than at the bottom. That's actually really interesting because I read a book. It's called the five by Haley Rubinold about the, and they turned it into a podcast as well, but it was about the five women that Jack the Ripper killed. Oh, wow. And, but from focusing on their lives and like, I think I bought this on Kindle, your recommendation. I haven't read it yet. I haven't read Um, it yet. But it focuses all about the women's lives and, you know, all their, you know, the typical narratives, all their prostitutes. And it's all about like, who's Jack the Ripper and like focus on the murderer and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's trying to take the, the power from him. Mm. And look at these women's lives in Victorian England at the time. And most of them weren't prostitutes. Um, some of them engaged in sex work as, you know, like a side hustle or something to make money. Yeah. Um, but the main takeaway for me was that these, like, our idea of Victorian um, morals and all this, like, sexual repression yeah. was actually very for the elites. Yeah. That for, you know, the everyday person living with someone who you weren't married to, but you were in a relationship was fine. It, like no one really cared or having, you know, it was much more loose and you just kind of made it work and people were much more, um, which makes it more things. confusing. But it was the Victorian, like that was for like the upper crests. But it's so, it's super confusing for us mm-hmm. because politically now today that, that stuff is all polarized. Yeah. So all of this moralizing about, sexuality, whether it's binary or more fluid about marriage, whether you can have sex in wedlock or out of wedlock and, and gay marriage and, and transgenderism and all of these things, you have a certain part of society, a very entitled wealthy part of society. That's very interested in imposing its religious morality on lower status groups, class groups in the United States to try to expand their power. And so if you go to a particular part of Texas where I grew up, for Mm -hmm. instance, and you hang out with a certain um, group of white Americans, then you will find that this political polarization is fed into everything, including what the family should be, Mm -hmm. Um, that you should have your paterfamilias, you need to have your patriarchy intact. And being anti-patriarchal is being immoral. Mm-hmm. according to many people who are, who are living in the world today. Um, not that it wasn't like this in ancient Egypt. Of course, being anti-patriarchal in ancient Egypt would have also been considered immoral and, and highly problematic because that's all there, that's all there was. Saying, there's, no, there's no alternative. Um, and it would have been like that anywhere in the ancient world, except maybe in a hunter-gatherer society, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, but anyway, look at, look at the economy, stupid. It's all yeah. about the economy first. Okay, so somewhat related. So how did servants and or slaves fit into these larger, these families? Yeah. And then we, we, I talked about this a little bit, but like what happened when they were freed, right? Was there a stigma attached to them? Or again, I, we as Americans have a very unique type of um, conception of slavery. And I think when you look at slavery in other cultures, it's very different. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, servants, um, writ large. This is a huge part of patriarchal structures in a Mm -hmm. traditional sense that you have house servants who pass on that lineage to their own children. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and that this goes on generationally is and it is expected to go on generationally. You, you and I both watched Downton Abbey recently, yeah. recently for fun um, decompression. So it's a it's also a very interesting show socially to yeah. see how things start out in 1910 and you have this many servants in the house and this many footmen and the foot number of footmen keeps getting smaller and smaller. And the number of conveniences brought into the kitchen keeps getting larger, right? They have the mixer yep. and then the sewing machine and yeah. you know, all these crazy things. Um, and now you, you don't have a servant. Nope. I, I get someone to clean my house once a week, which is like awesome, but they don't live with me. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays you're, they hire, you know, you pay them to do X requirement or whatever you want service. Right. And then they leave. Right. Um, and we have to do a lot of our labor ourselves. Most of us do our labor ourselves in some way or household okay. labor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we don't need servants. We have women. the first servant right how many articles have we read america doesn't have a social safety net it has women that's an actual article and i think i can't remember who wrote it but you can google that it's um it's a good article uh but you know this this servant and patriarch or servant and paterfamilias i think this was the standard for the top 10% of an ancient place, maybe top 20% of other more competitive ancient places, Greece or Rome or the Levant, Mesopotamia, until quite recently, quite recently. And then if you go to some places, like when we go to Egypt today and we hang out with rich people and you see they have two people that live in their house, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, oh my goodness, they have servants who live with them. It's not unusual for for Egypt. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's again not to compare it to Rome, but like, well, th- but we can. But we can. <laughs> we can. But I think there was more. You know, you 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 could free your slave, and they could come into your family and be a member, marry into your family. There wasn't this, um, well, racism involved at all, right? Um, you know, it was a stat status social standing issue. Right. So once your social standing changed by being freed or maybe renting land and becoming a little bit wealthier or something, then, you know, that you can, that we can interact and coexist and intermarry and with no problem. Yeah. I mean, um, you're, you're kind of touching upon flirting with the idea of slavery in ancient Egypt, which is so problematic Yeah, in terms of the vocabulary. Yes. What, what lexical terms do we use? How is it, it described? Whether it even existed in the way that we would define right? it as such. Be more like indentured, like you're doing this, Thing for a set amount of time and then you're freed and right you're not like sold into slavery and and it doesn't there's like debt based without markers of skin that yep. put you into chattel slavery you, there's no way to demand that that continue on generationally if you're able to better your condition mm-hmm. um and generationally it does seem that people brought in as live captives and slaves on campaigns then could become their children and their grandchildren became normal Egyptians in yeah. society who could professionalize and, and create lives of their own. Slavery is, it's incredibly hard to find literature on slavery I for know, Egyptian yeah. It's becoming culture hot in academia right now is looking But for slavery. Egypt too? So I know a couple of people doing um, like Greco-Roman mm. thematic stuff. Yeah, it gets very different. Which is way different. Very yeah. different. But I don't know anyone working on pharaonic 
It's yeah. because this is the word, it's you know, the merit. word for slave and servant yeah. are the same. And the how are you to understand it? Too. Oh, sweet. and slave is the same. It's, it's both merit, but they have a different determinative. And then there's Bach, mm-hmm. slave and servant. Yeah. How are you to understand yeah. it? Is it a slave as we think of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have such a loaded. Yeah. Our idea of slave is so American. Um, it's hard to. To remove yourself from that situation. I think so. Two things. One, the idea of commodification, not that ancient people thought I'm going to commodify you and I'm going to commodify mm-hmm. you. They don't think that way. Nobody does. It's like it's more debts and, but everyone's commodified. Yeah. You know, very few people are commodifying mm-hmm. and most people are exploited or commodified. The female body is commodified to create offspring mm-hmm. or, or sexual pleasure the child is commodified to give value to the parents in, in some way, yeah. shape or form when they grow up by marrying out or build, following in the profession or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there's always some commi- commodifiability and the servant is the same. So this idea of a capitalist chattel yes. slave yeah. doesn't always work, certainly not for ancient Egypt. And you could argue that ancient Rome or Greece before it, you know, you're approaching those ideas of chattel slavery in a commodified capitalist way in an industrial kind of way. But in Egypt, you don't really see it. Slavery was in Rome too. Yeah, absolutely. Greek slave who was there to tutor your children. Yeah. Probably was treated differently than your like mine slave. Yeah. Or enslaved person working in your mine or your farm. Yeah. Terribly. Yeah. Versus your like fancy Greek learned. Yes. Enslaved person who's there to do the books and, and yeah, Latin and all this stuff, yeah, exactly. Which I don't know if how that worked in ancient Egypt. And then there's the second point, and this is a big one. And you know, we talk about this all the time that it, the economy of Egypt does not need slaves to be brought in, they got more than enough people yeah. in that. In that Area of Northeast Africa. Private property, again. Don't, without the private property, all working as, as, you know, chattel farmer, or sorry, um, of um, sharecroppers on other people's land. You don't need to bring in a mass of slaves because you do not lack for human labor. There's, in some ways, arguably too many of them. Whereas Rome- They're trying to create more farmable, land in the Fayum or the Delta and stuff. Yeah. Rome- and the empires that were before Rome, Assyrian, Persian, even going all the way back to Sargon of Akkad, you could argue that those slaves, they drove the machine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a way of growing the, the stake, giving more yeah. to people. So you just always look at the economy first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, slavery is not as important for Egypt. And, and we're not even, we haven't even touched on the, did slaves build the pyramids? Yeah. What's draft labor versus slave labor? Or that's its own, yeah, that's its own issue. In form of the labor is yeah. enslavement or indentured, yeah. right? In a yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So what, quickly going back, what words do we have for family members? Okay. Oh yeah. I think this is Yeah. Cool. That's interesting. Um, so, the so word for dad. father, we just discussed. It's such a hard word. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, it looks it's an archaic. It should be read. Yeah. It's an archaic and weird word. So, the word is written in hieroglyphic text as etef. Um, with the cobra F. With the cobra F. And, and so, if it's 
but then when you get to Coptic, it's just yote. Yeah. And the F falls away. Yeah. But the F is always there written in the hieroglyphic text. And it becomes very confusing when it's his father or Mm -hmm. when it's just father or how we're to understand it. But it's, it makes sense that in such a patriarchal society where patronage is the norm, Mm -hmm. that the word for father would be so ossified Mm -hmm. and maintained in its archaic nature and not updated in in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, The word for mother, moot, moot, which may also mean death, but don't know. And how much we want to make those cognates. But moot and what hieroglyphs we have in moot, we have vulture. So the kind of protective... Yeah, written with the vultures, the vulture who put, and I remember, who was I telling this to? They're like, a vulture is a mother, ha ha. She's so ugly and scary. I'm like, yeah, she can be ugly and scary. And mothers can bring that. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, and then, and they can put their wings around their babies and protect them, you know, that that kind of look of the mother. Uh, So yeah, the vulture is the mother, I think is a wonderfully evocative. Vultures don't get enough credit. No, I agree. I agree. Good service. And they do what they need to do. Stuff. If you have to eat dead stuff, you eat dead stuff because you got to make a meal for your kids. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> you can make you can make a meal out of anything. Yeah. Um, They're scrappy. Uh, son and daughter. Son and daughter would be, it's like the little saw ones. Saw, sought. No. Um, what does it mean? No. Son and daughter. Saw, sought. Person. And then little son would be saw sherry, little daughter, younger Herod, daughter, child. saw sherit, Herod for child, sister brother, sen, yeah. senate. But so it's also the word for um, husband uncle. and wife. Oh, aunt and uncle too. Yep. So my next question. Yeah. Again, I'm leading all these questions. I think that's fine. Is that sen and senate <laughs> is this weird, interesting case in yeah. that it can mean so many things. It yeah. can mean siblings both brother sister lover um you know you're who you're married to your spouse but mm-hmm. it can also mean your aunt or uncle mm-hmm. it's like anything outside of the direct line of descent right so mother to son father to daughter but there's your generation i guess everything else is just descent. Or yeah senate. so we're all brothers and sisters no. Bro- you know bro- brother brother julian your you know sis- sister samantha whatever your, your uncle is the same as your cousin who's the same as your brother so confusing it's just all it actually matters is who your mom and dad is, I the guess. Uncle and isn't always a sin. Father. The uncle can be the sin and yoke, right? Yeah. So he's the brother of my father. Yeah. You you can have it discussed that way. And there there is then the understanding that you have a generational difference. So maybe then Jordan. Well, like in Heck the person who's his older aunt. He calls her his she's sin. She's just listed as a senate because it's inferred. He knows it's my mother's sister. But where does he say it? He says it in a different place. Yes. And the text. So just, sometimes he lays it out so and sometimes some he doesn't. Translation he says either sister or aunt. Wow. Because um, she's just called a senate. But based off her age, it makes more sense if she's an aunt mm-hmm. and not his sister because she's so much older. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes they don't give you the full, like, how they're related. And then children are barely yeah. recognized at all, right? So you just, you don't even define them according to gender. Yeah. You just have the hairdo, yeah. uh, the the children, male, female, and they look very much the same, often with shaved heads and naked and just running around and and very little definition of yeah. what, what they are because they're not socially viable yet. I have a question about that. Yeah, I'm go, skipping oh, ahead a bit, but I yeah, think it's ahead. good. 
So one study estimates that 30% of infants would have died in their first year. Whose study is that? Um, So it's Lewis and Golan, 2007. Using what data? It's a good question, but I'm saying from another source that cites this source. Okay, okay. Um, But maybe we'll do... Before the age of what? One. So 30% die before the age of one. And I've read elsewhere, and I cannot cite my source, that 50% die before the age of five. Yeah, from all the measles and mumps and rubella. And And I think, so I think actually they're citing these sources from, there was a child cemetery found in actually like Dokla Oasis. Hmm. Um, And they're basing off the age of, and I mean, I don't think you can tell when they're that small, like how many months old they are, but that's like under one. They, um, let's say, let's say 30 to 50%. Right. A, a large portion of children would have died prior to their first year. Which means children are economically and socially without value in a sense. Well, so that was my question. How does this affect their personhood? Are they yeah. seen as a person? Yeah. Um, were they named? Was their emotional distance kind of kept almost in a way? They're all just called child, um, expecting that most half of them would not make it past um and once they make it to five or six then you are like then you're you're they're a precious precious thing in your family yeah which is what i was thinking but then there's some contradicting evidence so i want to get your thoughts on it ronka has a notion that babies receive their names at the rite of separation from their mother so at birth right that there was like a naming ceremony right doesn't say anything why he thinks this. Right. But he says it and it's Raka, so people always And it's an shows article. Up, yeah. It shows up multiple times with if you're looking at child childhood in ancient Egypt, they cite Raka. And we also have a lot of infant and child burials. So obviously there was a they weren't just thrown away. No, they were often buried in a pot no, underneath your floor, kept in the domestic space. Affection and care shown to them for right. their afterlife. Right. You know, so if they didn't view them as a person at all, I feel like they would have just thrown them away, maybe. Um, well, these pots don't have names on them. So this Dakla Oasis, it's all they these, do? like actual like burials. Right. So it's like, yeah, sometimes we have them showing up like in pots under their houses, in their houses under their floors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which also is interesting that they're keeping them close to home and in a sense, but not typically where you bury a person. You don't right. bury them in your house. Right. Um, it's hard to use an oasis too, because the yeah, cultures are so very like, different. Yeah, totally different thing going on. Yeah. Or we have like, say Tut. We could take Tut. His, yeah. Like pre, they were born, um, still, his, still born, his premature right? stillborn children, two of them. Yeah. I think one was eight months stillborn and the other was six months stillborn yeah, or like something like that. Fetuses. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe a unique case because he's a king and all this stuff. His but... children, his infants would have been much more precious. Yeah. And as such, like Game of Thrones, you breastfeed those kids like until they're way older than is the norm. Because <laughs> that breastfeeding creates an immunosuppressive or Im- immunocapacity you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Um, but you know, you building off the Ronka that you and I love the way we do this in academia, where we I find was like, one where article, you come up with this, and they're like, "Cite Ronka," and then it's done. I'm done. I cover my I ass. A, it's I done. Have a feeling I didn't look into this, but I have a feeling it's from you know the Seven Hathors. Yeah, they come to watch you over. Yeah, and I have a feeling if I'm remembering because I translated this at some point that there is something about like giving the name. Yeah, 
in like, in the uh, West Car Papyrus, yeah, when yes. the sons are born to the mother and she has the yes. triplets. And yeah. the prophecies and all this stuff. But again, that's a king. Exactly. Maybe was this what normal people did? Maybe the king had a better chance of making it past childhood. But there's no them. evidence they didn't name those children because yes. they worried that they would die. And even if you don't name something, you still can feel... I get sobby over those little robots at UCLA that deliver food. Every <laughs> them, and I think they're so cute and they have little beetles, they have little faces and when kids stand in front of them and they go like like this and they can't move, I get really sad. I have no idea why, but they make me so sad. And like, I don't give them a name and they're a freaking robot. But like, I'm like, oh, like you're so cute and like you walk around campus like you're little like drone, like droids and... Well, let me also... so adorable. You know, having had one of these little yes. children myself and having breastfed that kid for two years um, and, and when I weaned him, he punched me in the face. <laughs> I remember that. And we sat on the floor, the kitchen floor and cried as I fed Did him ice cream. I tried with my two-year-old. Yes. No more. I said, you know, mommy's taking a medicine. Mommy can't do this anymore. And mommy was kind of done. Right. Yeah, and well, I'm like, here's some vanilla yeah. ice cream. And he was so better, sad. <laughs> he was so sad to not have that comfort. Yeah. That yeah. He, put, he hit yeah. me in the face. Um, mm-hmm. And then we wept, but we've made it through. But I, I suppose my point is, is that if Ronka is talking about the separation from the mother, I will tell you that when you have an infant like that and you're, you're breastfeeding, that infant is always on you. Mm. It is that warm body that is okay. either on your front or on your back, or but on you. It is a part of your body. And the, I can imagine that the Egyptians understood, and any ancient culture would have understood weaning mm. as that separation that the, so to, to separate so from breastfeeding. You're that, defining separation yes. differently than me. I took it as yes. literally cutting the umbilical cord. I mean, that's one separation. That's what I took it as. But as soon as you cut that, that umbilical cord, when you had the baby, they immediately put it on your yeah. boob. And then that, and I can't tell you how much you feel like a cow and how much that baby <laughs> is now a part of you. And it's feeding from your body yeah. and it is constantly on you. And it's a weird thing. Like you go to a party and someone holds your baby and you're like, Oh my God, you feel weird. Your baby's not on you. I don't know how else to describe it. And that moment of weaning, even though I needed to wean him and I was done with it and two years of breastfeeding is a whole lot. And, but that I I went crazy in my mind when I weaned him, I'm like, Oh my God, I shouldn't have, but I'd already taken this medication that I, that I couldn't exactly. And, um, and I was like, Oh my God, but what about that? And I felt the separation most keenly and the ancient Egyptians would have felt it arguably even more keenly because I guarantee you, as soon as they stop weaning that kid, or they, as they start weaning that kid, they are, they are waiting for the kid to die because every other time they have done it, yeah. 30% of the time, the kid has gotten some horrible disease and they're like, oh no, oh no. And then I bet they're like, oh no, breastfeed the kid. And then the kid goes back to yeah. try to save the kid's life. How... But maybe there's a new newborn yeah, that has been like born. So this is an agricultural society. You're going to have babies a whole lot. So maybe the newborn milk is going to be different from the toddler yeah. milk and it's going to be doing different things and it's not going to work or the, or the toddler rejects it because it's to- it's newborn milk. Yeah. I don't, I don't know these things. Yes. Um, weird or something. We'd have yeah. to talk to a lactation consultant to understand, but like that, that death watch is it. People are, it's setting in and yeah. people are worried 
about that kid making it through the year. Mm -hmm. And then we can imagine the magical rituals they would have engaged in, the money that poor people would have spent on getting the right magician to come in and put the little talisman around the kid's neck um, and and protect the kid, cut their hair with certain things that would protect them from the evil eye. yeah. All kinds of anxiety would have set in. So I have a hard time saying that that personhood is not assigned. Yeah. I I, I don't I also, believe like, that that's just the case. Just because you don't give someone a name doesn't mean you don't love them and care for them. And They, they all had names, these babies, yeah. in my opinion. They all had names. It was a question of, was it their formal name? Yeah. Was it a cute name? A nickname or something. Yeah. yeah. But they all, they, in my opinion, they were all named. They were all people that that great time and love and energy was invested into. And this whole separation from the mother is um, more about the breastfeeding. Certain cultures that like, Oh, they weren't considered a person until two. And I just, I find it like hard to believe. Like I've never had a baby, but just like, if you grew a baby, a person inside of you, not, having an attachment to it right automatically you know where this happens this is really interesting it comes kind of full circle to what we were discussing at the beginning when you have a baby that is not considered a person until it is brought back to your house it is rich elite people Mm -hmm. who don't want to engage in breastfeeding because they need to get pregnant again right away Mm -hmm. because their body that woman's body is commodified she needs to get pregnant again for henry the eighth right away right so you send that baby off to a wet nurse farmer family that's of a lower socioeconomic status and you then pretty yourself up and and the kid is gone and you tighten up and you get pregnant again ideally but it is those elite families that send their children away yeah and then wait for them to grow up and then they come back to the household exactly that's some weird shit yeah and that only happens in high elite households Mm -hmm. but it happens independently in high elite households among humans all across the board Mm -hmm. it's a weird like weird way of dealing with children exactly i want to deal with them and before that they're in the nursery and you're like i guess bring the children down oh hello children okay goodbye children exactly they come down they're like "Mm, yes and then the children go away they're playing too much and being loud and Mm -hmm. smelly Mm-hmm. send them away and then they go to boarding school and then when they're they like 18 they get to come back at all exactly yeah. but but most people aren't going to do that no it's true no yeah. well that's it for part one we hope you enjoyed stay tuned in two weeks for part two where we'll answer the rest of the questions thanks everyone Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack After Lives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on After Lives with Karakuni. <laughs>